Welcome to Tea Room Dialogues. My name is Helen. I'm also known as Saint Licorice, and I'm one of the caretakers of the Satanic Estate. No caretaker, performer, or creature living in the secret tunnels under the estate is a spokesperson for the Satanic Temple. The views in this conversation do not reflect the views of the Satanic Temple and are simply our own. We have Shiva Honey with us today in our tea room. Welcome, Shiva. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I am having some delicious uh, green tea. And uh, what are you having? I have some tea, some herbal tea from my friend, Heather at Hedgewitch Holistic. She makes, she's an herbalist and makes a ton of amazing stuff. So I'm, I'm having the calm down herbal tea because I always vibrate at a, a chaotic level. And I really appreciate the ability to like take some tea to, to wind down just a little bit, you know? Before we start, uh, I've got a bunch of questions for you that I, on subjects that I'd love to talk to you about. Um, you work on so many things, seriously. It's, I don't know how you do it. Like, it's so hard. Like for me, I'm watching you from the sides. I'm like trying to keep up with you. <laughs> but um, for the people, maybe, I think you're pretty known uh, in the community, uh, in the TSC community, but for people who might not be as aware, do you want to provide a short bio for yourself? Yeah, I'm just a simple girl who wants to be loved. Um, yeah, I'm. Um, yeah, I'm a Satanist. I've been a part of the Satanic Temple since 2014. I was part of um, the the first chapter, the Detroit chapter, helped get that started and, and helped organize some of the major events, initial events for TST. Yeah, Weezy. Yes, Weezy. Yes, I know Weezy. Um, yeah, so like bringing uh, doing this nativity event and bringing the Baphomet to Detroit. Um, I became a member of the National Council once it, when it formed back in 2015-16. Uh, and then uh, I really started my focus on developing personal rituals like over that time. Um, last year, I released my first book, The Devil's Tome, a book of modern satanic ritual. And that was after a long time of, of doing rituals for myself and also creating rituals for the satanic temple at the headquarters. And since then, I just keep on doing things that interest me. So I've, um, I'm working on some music now. I've, I'm uh, finishing up the production of the Devil's Deck, um, which is a satanic ritual deck. I'm working on uh, becoming a death doula. I'm just doing basically like, I don't know, being a Satanist has allowed me to pursue all the things that I ever wanted to. And, and so I feel like I'm in the renaissance of my life right now. And pretty excited about excited about it so yeah i guess that's me <laughs> that, that's what it looks like it does look like a full-blown renaissance and like it, it just it just seems like you're rising and rising and rising with like more projects more collaborations just I, i'm so happy that we get to talk about these projects um because i feel like seeing you go and participate in, in these projects is like really inspiring too for other people like who want to have a journey in Satanism and like, especially I think uh, people who are creative. Thank you. That's what I hope, you know? I mean, like, I, I feel like I try to live my values and and my, my intention is always to like inspire others to, to do whatever they want to do to have the best time in this short life that we have. So yeah, thank you for saying that. And I hope it, I hope it inspires other people. So first question for you uh, to start off, 
which is, I think, something that everyone wants to know. Um, everyone's been talking about this, okay? And everyone wants your opinion on this. Oh, God. Is Gritty a satanic icon? Yes. I'm here to definitively tell the world that Gritty is a satanic icon. So here's the story about Gritty and Satan also that people probably don't know about, um, unless they've been, like, obsessively following me for, like, several years. Back in, I think it was 2018... Back in 20, simple times of 2018, right? I think it was the season after Gritty had been like announced to the world by the Philadelphia Flyers. For those of you who don't know, Gritty's the mascot for the Philadelphia Flyers, who was at first maligned, but then became like an incredible symbol of like comedy and resilience and strength and the Philadelphia spirit. Um, so I was asked, I've been asked along with Lucian a couple times to come to Philadelphia to do events at the Philomoca, which is this incredible venue that does music and movies and a lot of counterculture events uh, run by amazing people and uh, just up for doing the weirdest shit that you know will get protested and they've they've stood with us and like hosted events where the catholic church is protested and people are outside being weird and all this other business um and i love them and i love philadelphia so we were there doing we were reenacting a black mass in philadelphia in 2018 and that was the first time that i'd ever heard of gritty I was told about Gritty. People kept on referring to Gritty. And I was like, what is Gritty? How is, who is Gritty? Like, what is this this character? And then I found out and I fell in love. And then I, I photoshopped Gritty inside of our picture of the Black Mask of Philadelphia. <laughs> and then that was on the internet. And then he, he became the symbol the, of the devil card in um, the Philly Tarot deck, which is a really great deck, which actually kind of inspired the devil's deck. So he's, he's, he is a satanic icon, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> he's my favorite. He just brings joy to the saddest of days. Like, I'll go on Instagram or Twitter, and I'll just, like, watch one of the videos that, that he puts up, and it just brings a smile to my face no matter what. <laughs> every time, I'm telling you, every time I see Grady somewhere, I always think of, about you because I'm like, Sheba would love this so much. Well, Yeah. <laughs> I was so tempted, honestly, like, so obviously I haven't been traveling much because of the pandemic. And uh, if I do ever travel, it's through car and, you know, we don't stop anywhere and blah, 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 et cetera. But I was so tempted at the beginning of December to travel out to Philadelphia because they had this, like, take your photo with Gritty um, event at, at this Philadelphia holiday extravaganza. <laughs> but of course, you know, my my better instincts and people around me were like, it's probably a bad idea. And I, I agreed with them. But, you know, when it when the time is right and the danger has passed, I plan to go visit Gritty and get a photo and like um, go to a Flyers game, even though I don't like sports, like those type of sports. Much, I'll still do it just just for Gritty. I was like, that's going to be an iconic day. We should make it a group trip. Honestly, like you come down to we should totally do that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you've told us a little bit about um, how you want to inspire people um, through like the projects that you're making through your Satanism. Can you tell me more about what it means to you to be a Satanist and what your Satanism is about? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always been a Satanist at heart. I certainly was accused of it as a kid growing up in like a really, really repressive, um, judgmental religious household. But to me, Satanism represents a complete uh, acceptance of self. That's like what I guess Satanism has given me. And I've in turn tried to emphasize to other people. 
um, for me, embracing Satanism has led me to become so much more comfortable in my own skin and with my own ideas and views where, you know, previous in my previous life, um, it felt so uncomfortable to like be authentically who I was and to like have my own moral code and my own sense of ethics and my own um, values. And it's just, it's been like a revelation for me. And it's also, so that's a part of it. Another part of it is just like, it continues to push me to want to be a better person and to like pursue justice and to, you know, be active in the community and outside of it. Um, it's kind of like an inner revolution, outer revolution thing for me. So as I'm working on myself, I'm also looking for opportunities to like, you know, make the world a better place too. So it definitely, it embodies both of those things. It's, and it's also for me, like you said, mentioned earlier, I'm involved in so much stuff, but it's also like a quest for knowledge. So I'm always, I've, I've embraced the perpetual beginner mind and like, I'm just so hungry for experiences and to learn. And I've have become, whereas before, I think, especially when I identified as a Christian, I feel like there's so much, not to say by any means that I don't have an ego, because I clearly do, but, but like there's so much identity wrapped into being right all the time and like having the answer to everything. And I think within Satanism too, there's also this sense of like rational inquiry and exploration and uh, curiosity that was really discouraged. Um, and, you know, like Christianity and, and and through some of the other sort of like social groups I've been a part of. So, yeah, to me, it's also about um, this, the quest for knowledge and inner and external exploration. So I guess for me, it's 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 that like self-knowledge, this idea of liberation, this idea of justice and um, embracing embracing not knowing and embracing your curiosity. So in the same way, like, would you say that this journey in Satanism, it, it will always be like, um, it will, it will always be about learning. Like, I don't like from what you're saying, I think I'm hearing that you're always going to want to learn more and it will never have like a reaching point necessarily. It's just like part of your, of your process and journey. Yeah, absolutely. I don't ever think, I think once you think that you've learned it all or like you've, you've become a guru or all knowing is like, that's when you really start to run into problems <laughs> like personally. And then like with the world and everything else for me, I just, I'm just like living my life trying to, to kind of follow what interests me and opening my, like be open, be open to new experiences. And I, I don't think that's ever going to be something that, that stops for me. In fact, I think that like, if that ever did stop, that's when I would cease to be myself. <laughs> you know, that's, that's like when I'm ready to die. <laughs> like that's uh it's that's what makes life interesting to me and that I definitely think is like a core component of my Satanism I love that so much so you've talked about like all the work that you've done for TST like starting the chapter you've worked on a lot of events you've like you've elaborated rituals you wrote the devil's tome which is about rituals you're also working on this deck of cards you have your own shop Serpentine And on your shop, you've got like loads of tools for people to like make their own rituals and stuff. Um, it seems like you work on a lot of stuff on a lot of different projects, but it seems like the bulk of your work is uh, a lot like providing tools for other people to engage in their own journey and like um, providing guidance uh, for others. So I'm thinking like, are you seeing that 
your primary occupation is being a teacher and like a guide to others? Yeah, it's super interesting. I feel like I just kind of fell into that like over time. Um, I've always been the type of person to to want to help, quote unquote, help people. And I know that's a loaded word, but like I've always been really interested in like uh, not having small talk and like making really deep relationships with people about and helping them like realize their dreams and, and encourage them to be who they are and that sort of thing. Even before I was a Satanist, like there was that sort of thing in me. And, and I was always like really concerned with other like, you know, other people's problems and all this other weird stuff that that's happened a lot less, I guess, over time. Like I've become much less of a fixer, which is, I think has been like a, ha- like a happy, happy sort of, um, you know, result of me being a Satanist, but I still do have that, that desire to like enrich people's lives and like to share what I, my experiences, if it can benefit somebody. And um, like, you know, for me, ritual, and that's been like the primary course of my study and um, my offerings to this point, ritual has been such a revolutionary tool for me, um, especially as somebody who's has like PTSD and who has done a lot of like inner work and healing work and self-acceptance. Like that has been such an important tool for me. So for me, it's just like, here's this thing that I think is cool. And, you know, let me teach you about or show you what's what's worked for me and see if it works for you. So I guess that's a long way of saying, like, I kind of have fallen into, um, I guess, being like a teacher. And um, I think, you know, or a guide, like, maybe a light bringer or something like that in that way. Um, I think that definitely has become like one of my core occupations at this point. And then I think also just as an artist, that's something else that I'm really embracing, whether it's through the creation of the products, which I, I honestly think each of the products I make is as an art piece. And then they're all made by hand. They're all made by me in super small batches. And like, I never had the intention of making, like expanding the business to the point where it's corporate or I make things, have things made by other people or anything like that. It's all very personal to me. Um, so whether I'm talking about that or like the illustrations I'm doing for the devil's deck or the music, I think that's that's something that I've always wanted to embrace as full time ever since I was a kid. And now I finally have the opportunity. So I think maybe those two things are what I would best define myself as kind of like, I guess, like a guide or a teacher and an artist at this point. Well, yeah, definitely. There's definitely art. I think in everything that you do, there's always creation. I really love that you still want to keep it small so that you still make everything yourself. Like that's so personal because I think like when people uh, go to Serpentine or come to you, that's, they want to like deal with you and have your things that you make. Right. I can say for myself, like when I get a package from you, it feels very special. Like the, the box actually, like, I'm sure it smells of like your workshop, like all these herbs and spices. It's just like, I know that's, it's someone in their own little workshop that did this and it matters so much more. I think like it has a lot more meaning. That's what I, yeah, that's what I want. Cause I mean, like, you know, capitalism is capitalism. We're all part of it. There's no escaping it absolutely at this point. Um, and this is like one of my trades, um, but there is a way to do business that is, that can also be like supportive and like authentic, I think. And not to say I'm like the most authentic person ever or get into that conversation at all, but like there's definitely values that I hold dear as a human being that I want to like embrace with my business and with like how I engage with people. And um, for me, it's very personal. Like everything in my shop, you know, I either pick, pick out myself, I make myself 
it's I want to give people the experience that I wanted to have, especially in the early parts of my seeking, which is what I was looking for was somebody to like, you know, hold my hand and kind of guide me and to be encouraging and to, you know, I, I loved it. I never had anybody who would make me things I, when I so I guess the closest thing I could like parallel to this was when I when I started like seeking after I left Christianity and like once I was starting to deal with my PTSD, I would go to like um, tarot readers or like psychics or whatever. And those were always like very therapeutic experiences. And it was before I actually felt comfortable going to a therapist because of all the baggage I had that I would go to these people and like talk. And it was very positive for me. And I understand it can be different for different people, but it was very, very positive. But I'd have people and they'd, they'd recommend books. So they'd like they'd have candles that they made in their shop that they would give to me. And um, when I started doing my own thing, I really decided that, you know, that was something that I thought would be meaningful and that I wanted to do for people that would be like personal. And I've even, I do custom pieces for people too, which I really enjoy. Um, And when I started out doing tarot too, like I didn't just do readings for people. I had a shop that was like very cute and like relaxed and personable. And I would like make people tea when they came in. I'd give them chocolate before they left. I would make them a candle and give them and make them an oil and a candle, like based on their reading and stuff. So I've I've always been like really interested in having those like intense personal, <laughs> personal relationships with clients for 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 better or for worse. And luckily, my clientele is like exemplary, like the best people I've ever met. <laughs> you know, like I've been so lucky to have the people who support the business be like. So such awesome, like clients and such good people and like, so cool. And like, I don't know, I just love it. Yeah. I think there's a shared ideology as well. And I think people can tell, like you have ethics, like the way that you're going into things, you there's thoughts in everything that you do. So I think, and I think people can tell. So this, the providing of tools and the writing of the book, were you always uh, wanting to be teacher and like, provide guidance to others or did people just start like looking at what you're doing and just started DMing you? (laughs) Yeah. Like people, I mean, I've, ever since I started, I guess it started when I was reading cards um, and people would, would reach out to me and be like, Hey, you know, can you take me on as a student? And at that point I was only reading for like a couple of years and, you know, that's another reading cards, like doing, having those experiences with people is is another, you know, lifelong journey. Absolutely. But um, so people would start asking me to do like, if I could start teaching them and all this other stuff. And that's something that I probably will do in a year or two for like an online course or something. But like, um, you know, I never had a, I never had a, like a personal teacher like that. I picked up a lot of things on my own and kind of created my own ways of doing things. And I definitely like coming into everything, didn't feel confident. I mean, I knew that like what I was doing was affecting people in a positive way, whether it was like reading for them or whether it was, you know, creating rituals and and engaging people in ritual or whether it was like making them, you know, candles or oils for ritual. I knew people were having a really good experience, but I didn't know, I didn't feel like confident enough definitely to be able to like, you know, crown myself a teacher or an instructor or anything, but, but opportunities just presented themselves over time. And, um, I was able to really, I like, I think the, I have a couple of businesses or I had a couple of businesses before I started doing stuff that was exclusively satanic. I was doing stuff that was like just kind of more middle of the road. Um, and that's where I would do my tarot readings and I would do, um, I would teach sometimes. So I think about a year before I started teaching my satanic candle class is when I started 
I just like, you know, brought some people together and was like, all right, let's sit together and like make these ritual candles. Um, it's still, it was all the same philosophy and stuff like that. Just like presented in a less threatening, <laughs> like uh, wrapping paper, you know? Um, but from that just came, you know, every time I do something, I don't feel confident in it a hundred percent. So like, but I just push myself cause I'm interested and people are asking. And so I'm like, all right, here we go. And just like my online, the course I just, or I'm about to launch the candle course. That is another one where it's like, I would love to take on students one-on-one, -on -one, but it's just not like, it's not possible with my workload right now by any means. And, uh, but I'm, I'm trying to find ways to like, be able to still teach people because again, like I didn't have like one, one teacher or, you know, aside from books and that sort of thing to go to, I still want to be able to like pass the knowledge on to other people so that they can then evolve it and like it can benefit them in some way, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Like I know that I bought the, uh, the candle making kit and uh, from your store and I haven't started yet. But I was so glad to see about the about the course because I was like, I wasn't sure exactly like because I wanted to really sit down with it and like go with make, making these candles with like intent. But now I feel like with the course, I'm actually going to be able to do that. So I can't wait to start. It's going to be in a month, right? Yeah, I'm going to actually open the school. So I had to create a school in order to release the course on Teachable. So I thought I was like, I bet people are going to roll their eyes at this, but like, whatever. So anyways, yeah, it's like, that's the school is going to be opening up um, on Taxnot. So I thought that would be sweet. And actually, I just finished up recording the last of the lectures or not. They're not even fully lectures. They're like videos and all sorts of different things yesterday. So, yeah, I'm super excited about it. It's so much more in depth than anything I've taught in person before. It's like. It's hours of content, in including like a workbook, which I'm still finishing up that I'll actually like with each lesson, it's going to give you like introspective homework to work on so that you can really define your own practice. So I'm kind of, again, I'm like looking, I'm looking at myself 10 years ago and being like, what could I have really used <laughs> that could have like given me confidence and helped me understand this whole practice and help me develop my practice, you know? And so I'm, I'm basically kind of giving people a fast track to a lot of the stuff took me a long time to learn. So you did mention as well that you didn't have, I think you said you didn't have a mentor. I think that was one of my questions. I wonder like, are there people that you have like, because a lot of us look up to you as a mentor, as a guide. And I'm wondering like, did you have that sort of person that you could look up to or like this person that you admire? So it's, it's kind of a complicated question for me. So I guess like from a bigger, so if you were thinking of like, do it, I have like a guru or somebody that I work with personally, which is like in other traditions, other like witchcraft magic traditions happens a lot. Um, I never had anybody who like initiated me into a practice or, you know, served as like a guru, but I will say that uh, I, I just read a lot of books. I, I've ever since I was a kid, I've had inspirational figures that I've tried to learn from, whether they're like celebrities or authors or like historical figures. Um, and the most important people for me in my journey have just been my friends and family, I would say, even though my mom and I don't see eye to eye on everything, she was probably the first person to like give me some of the spark for curiosity, even though our, com our relationship's complex and strange. And then, you know, I've, my, my grandma and my aunts, um, and then just working up from there, I had incredible teachers that believed in me and like would encourage my creativity or give me confidence when I had none and, and teach me 
teach me, you know, how to be productive, how to be a worker, all that stuff, uh, professors. And then, you know, just really, I had, didn't really have, I don't think I've had like long-term close friends. <laughs> like that's how messed up my life was. I think, I think my cousins, aside from family, like that's the longest term friends I've had. And it's only been within the last 10 years that I've had like serious friendships outside of family that have endured over time. And every one of those people I learned so much from. And so it's not like necessarily a formal student teacher relationship with most people. It's, it's more of just a like through lived experience, I'm picking up things and learning. And um, one person that has influenced me and because, you know, he was my Kung Fu teacher is Hollow, who is also Hollow Access, who is also um, one of the founding members of TST Detroit and has really been like kind of like a secret force in the shadows of a lot of the early TST work and, and continues to be involved a lot. He, because he's my, he's my Kung Fu Sifu has been like really important. I, and also a Satanist and instilling some important like life lessons. But um, otherwise, like, it's just, these are things I just pick up over time through like everything through osmosis, just through living, you know, um, so, so yeah, I just, and that's why I encourage everybody too. like, I think also I've been really obsessed with like learning about cults lately. I mean, throughout my whole life, but especially in COVID and it's like, I'm so anti-guru mentality and like anti-cult of personality, even though people, I'm sure like people who don't like me would be like, oh, well, look at you or something. But like, I think it's so important for people to find diverse um, sources of information and um, sources of knowledge and like that's the most satanic thing you could do right so I think that I I just didn't like even in my writing you know I'm, I'm not writing I didn't write the devil's tome from a perspective of an expert I was writing it from a perspective of somebody who had used these methods to better my life and was trying to encourage other people to do that um, so I feel you know I'm very I guess I'm just very supportive of people finding their own way in whatever way that shapes up to be so that must come also with you maybe becoming a minister of Satan, I wonder, like wanting to support people doing their thing. Um, like you became a minister of Satan, like I think three days ago on your birthday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> I was wondering if you'd like to um, talk a little bit more about that. Like why did you want to become a minister of Satan? But just because I'm hearing now, like you're so supportive of other people doing their own thing in their journey. I'm thinking maybe that's part of why. Yeah, it's something that I thought about. I feel I've thought about for a long time. When I was on National Council some years ago, we talked about developing the ordination program. And it's been like, it's been a long time coming. I've always had interest in it. And I've always kind of like informally, I feel like taken on a role, some sort of like priestess or whatever kind of role in the organization, just by virtue of doing the rituals and, and everything else. But I thought it would be I always thought that it would be a cool opportunity, you know, to learn, of course, because so much of the ordination program is about the synthesis of, of these values and, um, you know, histories and everything else that we have as Satanists. And moreover, you know, I just wanted to be able to provide people the service of formalizing ceremonies and that sort of thing, too. Honest, honestly, everything happens so quickly. And I'm not sure, you know, in the immediate future, how I'm going to use the you know, the designation, but I do know that I feel like my entire path is kind of wrapped up in this anyway. Like 
you know, between the writing that I'm doing and um, like some of the new projects that are coming up for me, it's, it's all been, it's all just kind of like what my focus has been. So my goal is ultimately through the, this, the study and like through the service to the community, just to be able to continue to produce works that, you know, um, open people up to new ideas that provide comfort and solace and guidance to folks who need it. I want to be able to do weddings and funerals and also, well, tons of ends of life stuff, which we can talk about later. But um, yeah, I'm just, I'm like really excited to see the program flourish and, and see how it impacts, you know, our growing community of Satanists. I mean, it just began, but it all, it already feels like there's such an impact and it feels really exciting. Like, I'm, I'm not sure what the, um, the program is like, like what, what is it for you to do the program? Is it like several hours of training? Is it, it must be like challenging, I'm guessing. Yeah, it was like a couple of days. I think it'll probably still um, shift over time. So um, it took me like a couple of days to get through. It is, it's 10, 10 like modules that have um, lectures, associated readings and a quiz at each. And then you have a final exam at the end of the program. So for me, a lot of it was review, which made me go through it, I think quicker than a lot of people, just because I literally lived, I lived the thing for like the last eight years or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I think it's, I think, you know, people can approach it in different ways. I honestly think that if you know someone would want to take it on they should probably have been with the organization for a couple of years and like you know got their feet wet and like all that good stuff but but yeah it'll be interesting to see how many people pick up on it um one of the interesting things too that i didn't know when i because like so many things are still in development right now but at the end of the at the end of after you pass the final exam um you have to get a recommendation from either like a chapter head or a member of executive ministry and you have to do um, like a personal essay like a, uh, of intent so those things were really cool to me too I thought it was good that you had to get like some community validation so you don't just have somebody you know paying some money and doing whatever and getting <laughs> like approved and I thought that um, you know being able to like document your journey at the beginning was really cool too. Do you want to tell us more about the the work? Because I, I feel like the Minister of, Sa of Satan, it goes into like what you're exploring, like studying end of life, death doula. Do you want to share more about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different things you can do as a Minister of Satan. Um, one of the modules goes into it in quite eloquent detail. But I mean, there's, you know, there's, of course, the ceremonial role that, that one can play. Uh, creating rituals or like carrying them out officially for TST. There's also the role of kind of like community supporter and mediator and somebody who can like come in and, and kind of shepherd <laughs> the congregation to some extent. Um, there's, there's people, you know, there's opportunities for the, the, the term theology was used in the training of theologian. So, and I think that kind of applies to what the work I'm doing too. So seeing just how like the, you know, the philosophy of Satanism intersects with like lived, lived experience and how it can like be woven into our lives in a way that's impactful. Um, and the way that that's going to kind of come together for me in the most near future is that I am currently, we're actually right before I got on this call, <laughs> I'm working through a program on um, 
for the end of life death doula a certification and what that is it's like a newer i guess concept in america at least over the last couple of years or and now it's it's starting to be accepted a bit more by like healthcare systems and um various practitioners it's it's kind of exploding as a movement right now but basically it's um it's like a birth doula but at death so the the role itself can take on a lot of different avenues depending on what you're interested in but it's somebody who companions a person uh, like and their loved ones at the end of life so it's somebody that could you could it could show up in different ways um it can be somebody who's like kind of a caretaker like a non-medical caretaker for people at the end of life um it can be that's you know bedside and comes on a regular basis it can be somebody that like um helps provide like emotional and spiritual support as somebody is at the end of life it can serve you can serve the role as somebody who kind of helps to facilitate the end of life wishes for people who are at um approaching death so you know making sure that they're um you know, they're being treated medically the way they're supposed to. Like being a patient advocate, I think, is one way that, that you can kind of come through as a death doula. And some of, you know, my interest um, predominantly is it's it's in companioning people, but I think more on like a global scale. It's, it's hard for me to do the one-on-one work right now. And I think that for me, a lot of it's going to come through with like the writing and sharing resources that I'm learning through the program. Um, with the greater community, um, especially talking about death from a Satanist perspective and from a, a person who's non-theistic. And it's also going to come through for me through like, you know, devising rituals and funerals for people as they'd like as well um, as more of the personal work. But yeah, I'm, I'm working on a book right now that hopefully it might go up for pre-sale at the end of the year, depending on how far we are. But um, I started this project last at the beginning of last year with a friend of mine who is a Satanist and helped uh, edit The Devil's Tome. She's, uh, she's brilliant. And we, she also has a terminal illness. So she, we started talking about like this idea for another book. And she wanted to kind of bring her experience as somebody who's approaching the end of life more rapidly than most of us. And um, somebody who's, you know, very educated, yeah, she's a researcher and all this other stuff, um, synthesize her experience with this training that I'm going to have now as a doula and really try to answer this question of, of how one can most effectively as a Satanist approach death, plan for death, um, cope with death, all of these things that we experience as humans that other religions, you know, have certain answers for, but, but we haven't really explored as much Um and because we haven't had time because we're young and I, you know, that's kind of the way it's been, <laughs> but I don't even think in like the other satanic communities, there's much, uh, you know, there's much out there in terms of like how to approach death and funeral services and all this other stuff. I mean, I've, I've even looked on the secular side of things and there isn't a ton of information out there that's like easily accessible to people. So my goal is to write this book that's going to that's going to be very personal, but also it's going to be very pragmatic in kind of guiding people, giving people a toolkit before they reach the end of life as to how to deal with it, giving them a toolkit for when they reach the end of life, and also providing them a toolkit if you, you are, you know, your loved one is is close to passing, like some some tools to use to kind of figure out how to deal with that as well. So yeah, it's going to be pretty comprehensive. I'm we're, we're deep into it. I'm, I'm really excited with how it's coming together right now. Um, 
so yeah and i'm hoping in addition to having the book like i'm hoping to also just be able to make a whole bunch of these uh you know documents available free to people because there there's a lot of like misinformation there's it's so hard i was just texting with my mom um before i got on this call because i'm reading a lot of this stuff in my course right now um and just reflecting on the, the experience of dying with some of my close family members and asking her some questions about what the process was like and you know what they experienced and what she observed and it's just a lot. And uh, one of the things that she mentioned when we were texting, she was talking about my great grandmother, who was incredibly close to me, and just about how the doctors were waiting to give her pain medication. I, she passed really quickly. She went to the hospital on a Friday, I think, and passed on a Monday. But like, you know, all this hesitancy and like mismanagement and it's the health American healthcare system is so disjointed and cruel. I worked in it for, you know, about 10 years before I quit my corporate job and I really want to be able to like show people how to be advocates for themselves whether we're talking about you know the care that they received before the end of life the care that their family will receive and you know that their wishes be fulfilled after they pass that's what it comes down to for me because we're not talking about an afterlife we're not talking about like your salvation what we you know the brass tax is like how do you protect your body you know how do you assert your will um, how do you deal, I guess you could say spiritually or emotionally, psychologically with what you're, we're going through. Like how can, how as a Satanist, can you do that in a way that's, you know, empowering and, uh, reflects your values? That sounds really awesome. <laughs> that sounds <Thanks>. so great. <laughs> Is this something that you'd be like willing to, uh, to come back to the estate again to like talk about? Yeah, I'd be honest. It seems like there's a lot to uncover on that front and, I would, I think everyone would love to hear more about this. Yeah. Well, like once I, once I uh, have things more together and like more of a narrative, I, I plan on just like screaming all this information from the rooftop. So whoever needs to hear it can hear it, you know, especially with COVID. And that's the thing that really pressed me. We were going to write this book either way. And I was trying to figure out the best, you know, for me, you know, I have like a graduate degree and like, I like, I still believe in like credentials and all this other crap and, and experience. And I just like writing devil's tome. It took me years to write that book, to feel confident enough and have lived experience. Um, for this book, it, I was starting to write it last year, conceptualizing it, but it didn't really, didn't really get to the hard work until the beginning of this year. But like, um, but with COVID, you know, I mean, everything became so much prevalent and prominent, like death became a part of our regular lives, death and illness. And, it just feels like it's such an important topic to talk about. And I had a couple of friends pass at the end of last year. And at that point I was like, I don't know, even know how to, I don't know how to support people who are dying or who are dealing with the grief of their loved ones dying. Like I need to learn about this. So I enrolled myself in a, this course uh, certification program and just been going hard ever since. So yeah, I can definitely see us talking about like a, a whole session just on this because even like I remember when you did um, the ritual at Sol Invictus, which was about like grieving. Yeah, it was about like grieving lost ones and grieving like projects that didn't come to term and like losing your job because of COVID and all of that. And I remember like sitting down and and writing so that you know those things that you were gonna put. Uh, to be burned and it felt 
liberating. Mm -hmm. That work will be so helpful. I'm going to go into another direction. Something else that you work on quite a lot. You've been talking about the music that you've been making. Uh, Satanic Planet just released a new single. They're going to release their album next month, which you've been a part of, right? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So you do vocals? Yeah. I. Um, so Lucian and I had been like DJing for a while together. And we'd been after when I started the Devil's Tome um, as part of like a benefit for the Kickstarter. I asked him if he would record some ritual music with me for the book to release to the backers from there because like music is so important to me as a ritual practitioner. And he was like, yeah, cool. So that was awesome. Um, and we actually released some of that music at the uh, like towards the middle of last year, just to the uh, the Indiegogo supporters, it looked kind of a secret EP, but, um, but yeah, so that had been going on for a minute. And then he got in touch with the satanic planet guys and just kind of like asked me if I wanted to be a part of it. And so I have just been like remotely collaborating over this last year, just on a couple tracks. Um, and you know, around this time last year, we planned on touring too. So I was going to be part of the live show but that didn't obviously turn out. So yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm doing some like backing vocals basically and, you know, lending to the vibe of that record, which I'm super excited and honored to be a part of. So what's the process like when you collaborate remotely like that? Do they like send you songs and then you're just like free to do whatever it is that you feel like that would contribute to that song? Well, so it's different. So like, you know, I've collaborated remotely before with like people who I'm like very close with and know well. Um, my last project before this one was called Blood and Honey. It's with the longtime music collaborator, Kyle, who's going to be collaborating with me now on some new music. He was in Korea at the time, so we would do everything remotely. But, you know, he and I knew each other so intimately that we could just like, he would send me a, a track, a melody, and I would just like, I had the freedom to just do whatever I wanted with this project. I didn't, I've never actually met anybody except for Lucian in person, obviously. So I, you know, it was much less of an intimate experience and um, you know, that sort of collaboration than it has been for me previously. It was a lot more remote, I guess. Um, so for this project, they basically like, you know, had some tracks and ideas of how I could contribute. So they say like, Oh, you know, mm, actually one of the tracks, um, that I'm on, I think was initially inspired by a song that I created for one of the, those Philadelphia parties at Philomoka that we'd done. Um, and Luke had heard me singing in like this video that uh, Lucian had recorded and sent to him and is like, oh, I like that line. Like, let me put it in this. He like, so he synthesized it in the track. Uh, it's the exorcism. So it's the, the next single um, that's going to be coming out. And so he's like, you know, can you sing that again and like see what you want to do with it? So he had this track built up and then I just I kind of like sang to that line and then added some harmonies and other stuff. And um, and same with Unbaptism, which is the other track that I'm on. That was cool, actually, because Lucian sent all the guys like the ritual from the Devil's Tome. That was actually, I think he actually sent it to them before it was in publication. So a lot of the lyrics are, if you listen to the lyrics of that song, they're actually lines from from, from the unbaptism ritual in the devil's tome. So so that was that was a good, cool part of the collaboration that was a bit more intimate. And then, um, yeah, I got sent the track and they're like, hey, do you want to like do this, do this, do this? And then I did that and then added a little bit to it. And, <laughs> and that was kind of that. And then, you know, so, it, but it was, it was definitely like less, 
it was um it wasn't as like full on collaboration as I'm used to, but it was really cool to be a part of. And um, you know, I think it's everything kind of fit well together and we riffed off each other really well. I'm I'm looking forward to actually meeting these guys in person <laughs> sometime after like post plague, you know. So and hopefully um you know they'll ask me yeah and live shows and hopefully they'll ask me to contribute on the next record so yeah i think the idea was that i would do live on baptisms um on tour as well in addition to you know singing so we'll see what the next year has in store that's very cool and you also have your own band right yeah serpentina is tentatively what we're calling it um so i'm, I'm working on a record of music that was inspired by those initial collaborations that lucian and i did to support the devil's tome i'm working on a, a full record of like of ritual music, one for each of the rituals in the Devil's Tome. So the way I see it, um, you know, I was an art student back in high school and I had in college and I had like a really hard time conceptualizing portfolios and like, and like um, big, big picture ideas for, for art. But the way I see it now is that I'm kind of in this Devil's Tome phase where I've got like the Devil's Tome, the Devil's Deck and this music that'll all That'll all be like this sort of era of work that I do. And then I'll move on to something else afterward. So, yeah, that's kind of like, I think, the last piece of the Devil's Tome um, project is just being able to get, um, just to get that record out. Wheezy, Wheezy, Wheezy said she's going to sing on it. Wheezy. Yeah, he's going to lend some vocals. So, yeah, I'm just, um, I'm in the midst of writing uh, that next one. We have a couple tracks that are done. I think we might start releasing them this summer. And then I'm not sure when the full length release will be ready, but uh, hopefully within the next year, I think. I, I was wondering, like, I'm not sure, because I see your husband, Graham Zegg, at DJ Nights. I think I've seen Graham in a video that you posted with music, but I'm not sure. Is Graham in your in your band? He is not. No, he's he does music and stuff, but he is not in my bands. Yeah. Oh, he's not in the band. Okay. So <laughs> also I was wondering, um, because because I see him a DJ nice, I was wondering if he's a part of the Serpentina experience or like, does he work on projects with you or is he more like doing his own thing? Yeah. He's the wind beneath my wings to simply put it. Um, so he's, he's, uh, we, so he has his own projects and, and interests, but we both support each other. Um, yeah, we're, we're like, he's like my first editor. He's the person who I bounce all the ideas off of. I'm like, okay, I got this idea. Is it crazy? And, And he's the one who helps build my confidence through all the insecurities that I have. So he's absolutely like a, he's like kind of like a silent player and, and, and an emotional support husband. <laughs> so he's amazing. He's, um, he's really the reason I think I'm able to do all the things that I'm able to do now because he's given, I mean, throughout this whole process, the last, you know, the years of knowing him, he's, um, and I met him after I became a Satanist. I actually met him at the meeting we were having to, bring the Baphomet to Detroit after we'd been kicked out of multiple venues. So I met him at a bar that he used to work at. Um, he was just hanging out at his bar and he ended up knowing Jax and some of the other people that were there. And we all sat down and talked. Um, so anyways, he, but he was the person who, you know, encouraged me eventually to like, you know, pursue a different career to, to do this full time and has been the person that's, you know, no matter how, insecure I'm feeling or like down he's the person that can make me feel confident and supported and um you know he we have like the healthiest relationship I think I've ever had <laughs> and 
he definitely makes it possible for me to do all this work. And I tried to do the same for him. He's got his own, he's got his own projects and he's doing amazing stuff in, in his own world. So I know that for DJ nights, it's always cool to see like both of what you bring on, like the energy that you two have, that's really something special. And like when he comes on with his, with his songs, like you can tell that now it's Graham. That's yeah. <laughs> it's, it's his song. And then when you're back on, it's like, Oh, now it's Shiva's time. And there's a symbiose there that is like so interesting and lovely like that's that's really cool so is he into rituals as well um is i would say not as much but he respects it i mean he i, I think he knows like what it's done for me I, I he doesn't have as much of a focus on it as i do but he does i taught him how to read cards and he's um so he's got like a card pulling practice and he you know he's very observant and like appreciative of, of all the ritual stuff but yeah he's he just kind of does his own thing you know like I know like you have your DJ nights you have your band you're in satanic planet and in your rituals there's a lot of times like music involved and like making playlists for a specific like ritual and then listening to that music like what is the place of music for you in rituals oh yeah it's like it's so important to me it just sets if there's nothing else like having music for me would be the thing to set the mood i talk about this a lot in the new course that i've got um the the candle course that i'm putting out about you know i have a, a whole section on creating a sacred space and like what my recommendation is for that and um I definitely think that, that that's like an important aspect. If it, music is something that moves you, it's an important thing to have um, present when you're working in ritual. It's something that I've always used as like an emotional trigger to help me, um, you know, get work through sadness or feel confident or motivated. And it's something that I think, you know, can really benefit people who are in the music. And music just as like a, as an artist too, like music actually, the I think the fact that I haven't like fully pursued it yet is really funny because the music music is actually like my natural gift. It's that's like the thing I do better than anything else actually is singing and like writing music. I've been doing it and I've never had training, but I've been like singing. I started harmonizing on my own when I was like six or seven. And I, my mom was a singer and my dad was a guitar player. They're in a band. Um, so music I was always told was important, but um, it's something that has, I think saved me more than anything else especially when I was younger as an escape, as a way to, to deal with difficult situations. Um, whether it was like escaping through fantasies of like rock star lives or listening to music as a way to process, you know, trauma and that sort of thing. It was always really important to me. So yeah. I think the fact that I'm able to pursue it now and also to share my love with other people through the DJing and like, I just got Spotify for my phone too. So I think I'm going to start doing playlists soon, which I'm really excited about. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of an old person when it comes to technology sometimes. Let me know. I'll follow you on Spotify. Like, I love it when people like post playlists and I like immediately like subscribe and I'll listen like in loops. It's like you listen on your own, but it feels like you're connecting with the tastes and what someone else is into. And it feels so special to do that. Yeah. I'm super excited because I have, I have iTunes as well, like the unlimited. So I think I'm going to switch that off though. Cause I just noticed on Spotify, like I'll listen to a record and then like the old Pandora used to, it'll like suggest new songs for you to listen to, which is awesome. And yeah, I, I think I've, I've attached like one of Alison Goldfrapp. She's from Goldfrapp. Um, her playlists. I remember listening to a couple of weeks ago and yeah, it was, it was so, 
it just elevates you. You know what I mean? It was so, it was a lot of classical pieces. It just made you feel like you're like hanging out by a castle in Europe or something. But it's funny too, that you mentioned music because the last, so the last module that I was doing in my doula training, um, it was about pain at the end of life and patients with dementia and about how to, you know, just how to handle some of the more difficult moments that you have with people who are coming toward the end of life. But one of the things that was discussed at length was the impact of music on people. Uh, sound is the last thing that you lose when you're dying. So people have found that music can be like a very, very therapeutic, um, a very therapeutic tool to use with people at the end of life. So of course, it's also a therapeutic tool to use for people of all ages and experiences. Um, but it's amazing how much it resonates with the person. There are all these stories that I read about through my coursework about, um, you know, the impact that it had on patients with dementia or, you know, patients that were otherwise, you know, silent and non-responsive, the, the interesting experiences people would have playing music. Um, also, so many people, once their favorite song was played when they were close to dying, they were actually able to pass once when they were able to hear that music. Or there's a harpist that talks about her experience um, playing music for people who are in hospice. And, you know, she's she talks about trying to meet the resonance of a, a person and their breathing with her harp playing and like the notes she played. And that, you know, once she was able to hit the certain resonance with the person she was playing for, they would, if they were agitated, they would calm down. And, you know, she's had people pass while she was playing. Um, anyways, super interesting stuff. So I just think as a human being, music is, it's important. And with ritual, we're trying to like reprogram our brains and we're trying to focus and we're, we're going into a different place, uh, almost like a non-conscious mind or something like that. You know, we're trying to re rewrite stories for ourselves. So I think just as human beings, music is one of those sensual experiences that really can like push us to another place to do the work that we need to, need to do. Also, I remember you saying like through rituals that you like to engage in rituals like in a physical way. Yeah. What does it mean to you to like dance and being like physically engaged while doing your ritual? Like, I think for me, I have a really, I'm still, you know, it's a lifelong journey and I have a real disconnect between my mind and body. I think because of like abuse and stuff like that. Um, and I'm always trying to connect the two. So for me, even if it's just, you know, whether it's through making candles and like, you know, taking that physical act of like figuring out what I want to focus my attention on and like set goals for myself through the physical act of making something like a candle or oil, or whether it's through something like, you know, doing a cleansing ritual, jumping into a lake and swimming, which I did a lot of in the summer, or whether I, I, I do a lot of cleansing rituals through physical activity. So like, um, I, do go to the sauna when it was safe <laughs> I would go to the sauna and also do like this um this sort of a cleansing not like physical cleansing is in like going on a cleanse but like you know I would actually lead some of my friends through rituals we'd meet up um on the full moon and like go to the sauna and do releasing ceremonies where we would talk about you know what was going on in our lives and the things that we wanted to let go and um as we were in the sauna and just like feeling that heat and that sweat and getting into that sort of meditative state and that space of sharing so that so to kind of facilitate that letting go of what we didn't want to carry anymore. I found it to be very powerful. So um, also like I actually didn't do this myself, but I buried other people alive before um, as part of a ritual. So I don't know, for me, I like I'm a very, you know, again, it's hard for me to get out of my head and I really like to bring 
you know, symbols of the physical experience into my practice. And I just think that, you know, being physical to me, it gets me out of my head a little bit and it makes, it takes me to a different place. So even like the experience of being at a concert when I was younger, you know, like that was my church going to shows. Music was my, definitely my religion and my escape from what I was going through at the time. So just being able to like be shoulder to shoulder with somebody and like screaming lyrics and like sweating profusely and like being really thirsty and, and just like, you know, knowing that the person next to you is having this other catharsis and it was it's just cool to me to be engaged in that way. That's really cool. It's like a way to reconnect a bit with yourself and with like your body, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And to just be like, you know, to, to be in your body, which is hard. It's really hard for me to be in my body. So it's something that I, that I appreciate and try to work toward more. I remember seeing like a post that you wrote specifically, uh, like I said, about uh, how you mentioned like being physically engaged and like dancing in that post. There was a picture of you, I think you took uh, in front of a mirror. Oh, yeah. I've seen a couple. Your pictures are beautiful. They're always beautiful. I've, I've seen a couple of your pictures where you're placed in front of a mirror and you're basically like looking at yourself or you're like um, dolling up. Uh, I was wondering, like, is the mirror like a recurring theme in what you do in your process? I don't think any of that was conscious when it came through. Um, the mirror for me, I think the one picture you referenced I had on Instagram, that was, I have, I think, I don't, haven't been officially been diagnosed with dysmorphia, but I definitely like have body issues. So for me, I started during COVID, you know, we couldn't really go out and do anything. I couldn't go out and dance. So I put some like uh, mirrors up in the garage and I started dancing again. And it, And just seeing myself, like, instead of just being in my head about what my body looked like, to actually see my body like be strong and move, you know, it was like a really emotional experience for me. Um, so that was that one. And the other ones are from um, Courtney Brooke, the light witch. She took a lot of photos of me with the, the mirror at the, the headquarters, actually. Uh, I think it's the throne room now, but yeah, she just was into that idea. So maybe it is. I mean, I am very like obviously self-reflective <laughs> and I think body image and like image in general has been like, is a focus of mine, you know, um, being present in that physical representation can be like super powerful. It just occurred to me because, because I work, uh, for the estate and as a volunteer and I work with people's pictures basically. So I have a whole bunch of your pictures. And then when I look at this, uh, this folder that I have, I'm like, Oh, there seems to be theme here. And I'm sort of wondering, like, is this part of the, of the process, like reconnecting with yourself and like the self-reflection, but like, I'm a designer. So I'm in that space of always, maybe I overthink things a little bit, <laughs> but I, I like that, that image of since, uh, you know, like doing rituals is so much about like journeys and self reflecting. I was like, this is literally it in an image, you know, with a mirror. Yeah. I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> That's great insight. Your, your photography, um, you do these very elaborate like photo shoots with, carefully selected accessories and satanic objects. You have awesome clothes, your dresses and the crowns and everything. Is that part of your process? Like, um, I'm, I'm wondering, like, there seems to be this uh, feminine aesthetic that you bring to your work. Is that something that you do consciously? 
Yeah, I guess, you know, I've been interested in fashion since I was a kid. I was like, I just like was in front of the television all the time. I was basically raised by television, like many kids were in my generation. And I remember watching like, I don't remember what it was called. I think it actually might have been on Canadian broadcasting, but they had a show. They had a show with like, the show. it would show you like the latest runway fashions and it would have like Givenchy and McQueen and... Uh, all these other designers that I thought were awesome. And I've always just been interested in the image and clothes. And um, I think both my parents were, although they didn't, I think they were when they were younger, but they would talk about their glory days of, you know, when they'd go out dressing up in the 60s or 70s or whatever. Um, And my mom sewed. So a lot of, I just was always into fashion from the time I was a kid. So I I could like, I also took fashion design courses actually I started college in high school, um, going in the summertime, and I, one of the, some of the classes I took were fashion design related. So I've always just loved to draw and design clothes. And uh, from that point until when my mom, even just recently, like she makes some of the clothes that I have, uh, bless her heart. And, but yeah, she. So I've just I've always been interested in the image, and I think with, you know. I've always been a performer too. So I've always had like a, like a distinct vision of how I wanted to present myself. And uh, it's always been like super feminine, even though I don't always feel, I, you know, feel that way inside. It's definitely like when I put those clothes on and um, when I look that certain way, I feel powerful and I feel cool. (laughs) And uh, I just ever, I used to like do shows like just, small shows with bands and always dressed up like that's always been a part of my art I guess and people would always be like wow you're really dressed up and I'd be like yeah I know (laughs) like it's just what I do um but to me it's it's again it's bringing I think a lot of times it's like bringing that intention or that confidence even if it doesn't fully exist inside to the out world like it's a way for me to help help convince myself that I am who I am (laughs) something I don't know I just I love playing around with clothes and I love playing around with like images and um, it is something that makes me feel great. And which is another thing that I've kind of lost in COVID because, you know, I used to go out a lot Um, in the future. I don't think I will as much, but I'd always dress up when I went out. And since I'm not going out, like I don't dress up as much. In fact, like when I DJ is like one of the few times that I dress up and, you know, go off, but it makes me feel great when I do it. I just, you know, a lot of people, I've, I've always grew up around women who would complain about like having to dress up or wear certain things and I always loved like wearing heels and I always loved like wearing corsets and plastic like vinyl and PVC and like I don't know I always I always loved like the hourglass silhouettes and just to like I don't know it's just something I was always into (laughs) I I love seeing like how you dress on your DJ nights I always like wonder like What's it got to be today? I can't wait to see. Do you have a uh, favorite fashion designer? Oh, my God. That's such a good question. Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, I think probably historically, and it's, it was Alexander McQueen, at least like in the early, before he passed, you know, before the house was taken over by other people. Just the stuff, the work that he did that was really inventive. And his runway shows, too, that like turned into these theatrical performances. And the work he did with Bjork, I thought was incredible. So yeah, I think ever that's the that's the first person that I really was like, oh my god, he's so cool, um, and his work is just beyond. Like someday, someday I'll own something by him, <laughs> or at least be able to wear it. <laughs> that's that's a goal. But um, 
what else who else do i like and i'm probably gonna pronounce the name wrong which is silly because like again this is this is one of the designers that i grew up seeing i think it's it's terry muggler or theory muggler anyways designer from the 90s and 80s but like did these like super high femme dom sort of outfits in the 90s that i've loved since i was like a kid and have now now the brands like come back in style so you see like the kardashians and stuff wearing it which is it is what it is but like yeah the, the old stuff is just like oh so beautiful and cool and interesting um rare, now too because this is what i've done in covid too is i just look at like really expensive clothes online and imagine what it would look like if i could afford that but like you know saint laurent their um their their collection i believe it was like the winter the fall winter collection i thought was great they had like all these like pvc pants pvc pants with like you know the sheer tops and uh like high boots these really nice like structured um structured like suit jackets and stuff I thought or like fur or like uh, just like really out there sort of high bondage uh, but still with a little bit of feminine like aesthetic to it that I really enjoyed so yeah if anybody's listening out of me I don't think they're listening but please send me your clothes (laughs) Uh, but yeah and then I, I could go on forever about them. Skin Graft, that was a designer, the designer Skin Graft before they uh, they switched over to um, the guy's name. He was on one of the design shows and like, I think his brand stopped. Um, and now I can't think of his name off the top of my head. They're one of the few designers who I bought from a couple times uh, and made, did bought like really cool leather jackets from. Um, but yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I, I do love McQueen. And I think I saw something recently from uh, Moschino where he did this uh a totally gorgeous rib cage, uh, like a like a tank top rib cage with like jewels, and it was gorgeous. Oh, that sounds amazing! But yeah, there's some folks based out of Salem that are doing really great work that I I really would love to, um, you know, collaborate yeah. with at some point. There's just so many. There's a whole bunch of like smaller artists that are having getting some attention now, which I appreciate very much. And yeah, I think that's great too. Another question that I wonder, like. Uh, you're a woman in CST and Satanism. I wonder what's your view on the place of, of women in Satanism and is like, uh, is there a feminism in your view in Satanism? Oh yeah. I mean, like that's at the heart of it all for me. That's how it all started to begin with, you know, like, um, when I joined Detroit TST, there was a whole bunch of, you know, strong opinionated women in that in that group. And those are the things that we were all concerned with um, bringing light to and working on. And I think, you know, Satanism is inherently satanic and that's why it appeals to so many women. And the thing that I'm, I'm very encouraged by is that, that TST has so many women in leadership positions and, you know, also as a queer person that it's so queer inclusive and inclusive, you know, inclusive of everybody, uh, or at least tries to be, you know what I mean? And I really, really appreciate that. So, and yeah, I just think it's, I think it's such an important part of the religion and there's, and I'm going to probably pronounce his name wrong too. Was it Perfectsnald? Like his book, uh, Satanic Feminism is great. He actually just did a, a lecture that I saw last month on Satanic Feminism. That was great. And then he's going to be doing another one this month, I think, uh, on contemporary sat- uh, Satanism, which would be interesting, which I think will involve some of our work, um, which is cool. 
But yeah, I just think I'm so glad that this narrative is happening. And it's been picked up like, you know, pretty commercially too. Like Twin Temple talks about it. And it's just like something that it seems like it's something that's on the, I think Sabrina the Teenage Witch even talks about it. You know, like it's just something that's like on the mind of, of, of everybody. It's in the consciousness now, which is awesome. And because especially because I think, you know, some of some of the other modern Satanists really miss the mark on that. In other religions as well, mm-hmm. like women have been like oppressed and like completely uh, silenced in other religions. And it it feels like uh, women really have a huge place in Satanism. Yeah, definitely. I think so. And I'm hopeful to see that it just continues to grow. I think everybody who's been marginalized or oppressed, I think has a place here. And, um, you know, I'm excited to see how things develop. So you mentioned being queer. Mm Mm-hmm. We, we chat from time to time, but I don't think we've ever really chatted about that. I love to hear uh, queer women's voices and like how they, how they live like their queerness, like what their experience is. And like, can you tell me more a little bit about that? Like maybe like when you realized you were queer and if it impacted you, how it impacted you? That's an interesting question. Yeah, it just doesn't, I don't talk about it that much because, you know, there's like so much stuff to talk about. I figure it comes out in, at opportune times, but I also don't want to hog the, the queer the queer attention from other people who, you know, have things to talk about. So um, it's not something I've talked about unless asked about very much. But uh, yeah, that was, I mean, since I was a kid, I knew that I liked women, but it was something that wasn't obviously tolerated <laughs> and like, um you know, in the household. So even like the example of like Catwoman and some of the fashion that I talked about, it's like, you know, you, you want to be her and be with her simultaneously. And it was, it was just, it was something that was like very present in my sexuality. Um, and of course, you know, it's not something that I talked about with anybody and it just kind of existed there. And I'd feel guilty about it because of how I was raised. So it wasn't until again, I was like around 25 and kind of and separated from my family in some really important ways and started exploring myself that I really embraced the idea uh, or embraced being queer and, you know, experimented and with all sorts of different things, done pretty much everything, seen everything, experimented with everything. I'm also a sex, I was also a sex worker too, which is something I don't talk about, but um, that was, so that also kind of intersected with my queerness. Um, A lot of, a lot of things just kind of came together as the, uh, it was right before I became part of TST or, or as I was becoming part. So yeah, it just, all these things were intersecting that were taboo or that I was ashamed of and it's just stopped. I have like a vivid memory when you were talking about like, uh, just asking about it a couple minutes ago when I was like, I remember driving with my mom and like telling her about one of my clients and I don't know why I was doing this. Like, and I think there was some secret part of me that wanted her approval, even though I knew she would like you know, be horrified. And I was telling her about what I was doing with TST and then talking about like mentioning one of my clients and how absurd my life had become. And she was just like, what the hell is wrong with you? But, you know, but yeah, it was, um, you know, it's something, it's something that's always a part of me and that comes out in different ways. But, um, you know, presently I'm in like monogamous, uh, heterosexual marriage. So it doesn't, you know, it's not something that comes out as much, the whole bi erasure thing, right? But like, uh, but it's still there. Yeah, it's still there. It's definitely still there, and it's a part of me. And I, I just love the idea of, 
you know, I just love being queer. It's just like, it is my identity, you know, it is how I roll in life. Yeah, pride, baby. Yeah, exactly. I'm actually making some pride shirts, too. So I'm stoked about that. That's awesome. Um, you've shared uh, in your book, The Devil's Sown, uh, your satanic pilgrimage, like through doing trips. I know you've mentioned this in a workshop that you did at the estate as well. Um, what what place does uh, traveling uh, take for you, like in your journey? Because I, I think when we talk, like even when we have like our coven chats, I think the last time, like when we did the site ritual, I believe everyone was talking about trips. Of course, we can't travel now because of COVID. But I was wondering, like, does this take a huge place in in your in your journey? Yeah, it's a, it's been really important to me. Um, the first time I really was able to travel, the first time I got a, was able to travel was when I was in a, a program in my high school to help like first generation college students and minority students go to school. Um, and so I started traveling and doing college stuff at that point, which was really liberating. Anything that could get me out of the house, you know, and, and see a different part of life, a different type of person was liberating for me. And when I was 18, uh, I got a scholarship and I went, lived in Italy for a number of months uh, right out of high school. And then the next year I lived in Brazil for a while. And then I took a big, a big kind of stop to, you know, work on my career and finish school. And it wasn't until I started like rediscovering myself after the separation with my family that I really started to travel again. And it became, to me, travel is like, it's the easiest, it's like an easy gateway to like understanding yourself better. And to like, it's kind of a fast track to personal development, my experience, you know? Um, And Every, you know, every big trip I've had, I love traveling by myself, um, has had like the things that I find out about myself and the things that I understand about people is just to me, it becomes like a, a tremendous, you know, experience. Um, but, you know, with COVID, I've taken a couple trips all just driving, you know, because I had to go to Salem to get book signed last year. And um, I'm actually making a similar trip this year in a couple weeks. But um yeah, I just feel like I just love traveling. I can't wait to be able to get back on a plane again. Uh, but I found that I've had to do a lot of the shortcuts I've, I've taken through travel. I've now ch- kind of been able to access internally through just being at home. Like this whole COVID year of has been really intense and scary and for everybody. Uh, and I think that being stuck at home and forced to just kind of live with yourself and not be able to escape which is like one of my coping mechanisms escape you know um has really been telling and an interesting journey (laughs) so I've kind of I've switched gears a bit you know since COVID happened but um I still I look forward to traveling and um just continuing to discover the world and myself through that means you know like what place you want to go to next like when we're able to travel again I really wanted to take my husband to Southeast Asia so that's where the first place that I went after I became I kind of like liberated myself you know that was I actually seen a picture of Top Prom which is a temple it's like the Tomb Raider temple known as that in Cambodia I didn't know where it was I was just like I want to go there and then I booked tickets and I went and um, I had this incredible adventure and so I I just really I'd like to take him there that was kind of our honeymoon plan um, but it's just taking a long time for it to happen. Um, and then I also, we've talked about going to Europe because uh, I haven't been there since I was 18. And there's just a lot that I'd like to see. 
I wanted to ask you because uh, we've had chats about like uh, social media and uh, dealing with people who don't or maybe, you know, have some reserves about us like engaging in rituals and engaging with the symbolism of, uh, of tarot. And sometimes it can be a little frustrating. And um, I was wondering like, how do you feel about uh, such people or how do you deal uh, with feedback like that when you get it or when you see it? Yeah, it just is what it is, you know? Um, I've just, I think I've really had to learn a lot the last couple of years you know, when to fight and when to just ignore things, you know, got no one to hold them, no one to fold them, no one to walk away and no one to run. So my energy is so precious at this point. And I've got so many projects I'm working on that I'm not on social media as much as I used to be. And I'm certainly not. And whether it's for better or for worse, and I kind of feel bad that I don't interact with people more, but it's just not possible for me to like spread my energy that thin right now. So, you know, I'm always receptive to criticism if it's coming from like an a good source and, um, you know, somebody who's trying to, you know, coming from a place of like empowerment and kindness and, you know, trying to make things better, but for other, other people, you know, other people who just want to be haters, that's, that's on them. You know, it doesn't matter what you do in this life. There's always going to be people who don't like you. There's always going to be people who disagree and you just have to learn like whose opinion to value and, who's to just kind of like ignore and everybody who I've ever admired in life has talked about their journey with this there's no way to be liked by everybody there's no way to be respected by everybody there's no way that everybody's going to understand you and I I respect people's ability to disagree with me or you know to not like me for whatever reason but that's their experience that's their you know that's on them that's not on me I don't And so I guess that's the philosophy that I've embraced over time. I I try to follow your lead on that because I did engage once and now I'm like, actually, I don't really want to spend time on this. There's so many like cool projects that I can spend my time on. Like, I think, uh, yeah, when we had that discussion, I was like, okay, I'll, I'm following Shiva's lead on this. Well, I think that's one of the things that I've tried to like talk about too, like in our, on Patreon and in our coven chats and stuff is just like, cause it is, I, I think, you know, if I were to listen to everybody who has an opinion on me or what my work is, then I would just like crawl in a hole, you know what I mean? And not do anything. And again, a lot of it for me, the worst abuse I ever received was when I was a kid and I was living in a home where every day, every second I was told that I was, there was something wrong with me. I was told that I'm a piece of shit. I was told that I'm stupid, that like I'm ugly, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, I mean, I got a lot of that. <laughs> like I understand what it's like to have that experience. And I certainly there's still like traumas that flare up in me from, from people being like that shitty to me now, but it's just like, bitch, that's the best you can do. Like, okay. Like, I don't know. Like, I just think that people are going to say what they say and you just have to move on it. You know, it's like with Kung Fu, you have to, you have to decide when to engage and when to just move forward. And my, my advice is to always move forward. And that's just something I've told people a lot because it's one of the most important lessons that I think I've learned is that you can't please everybody and everybody, you know, is entitled to their opinion. But I think the best way that I've shown my beliefs and my values and my ethics is through the work that I do. So I'm going to just keep doing my work and let that speak for me, you know? Yeah, that sounds, that sounds awesome. So speaking of tarot, did you bring your, your devil's deck 
I do. Yeah, I've got I've got my uh, my demo copy, my proto copy, or whatever you want to call it, with me. So, how does it work? Like, how do we use the devil's deck with the tome? You know, you can use this however you like. But let's say we're just trying to do something quick, and we're gonna pick a card, and then. So you can use this like with another tarot deck. Um, when I do tarot and do shorter readings, I like to do like a like a smaller spread and then I'll pull one deck from like the major arcana and have that kind of be the guiding principle or the, the final lesson that we talk about at the end. And um, so that's kind of how I envision this deck working. It's kind of that at the end of the day, like this is what you can take home with you or this is what, you know, maybe to focus on in this day. So I'll pull a card and see what comes up. Ooh, okay, so Feral came up. So this is one of this is one of the, Lucian's new illustrations. Um, and this is one of, this is not one of the ceremonial cards. So the deck is made of ceremonial cards and illumination cards. So this is one of the illumination cards. The ceremonial cards deal directly with the rituals in the Devil's Tome. The illumination cards do not, but they, they have explanations in the book. Both of them have explanations in the book. And they're just kind of like, ideas to ruminate on as um you know you are on your journey so for feral this is what i have in the book for feral um animals can give us love companionship and wisdom do you have pets what insights can you find in them how can you form more symbiotic relationships with animals around you in nature spend quality time with animals embrace love play and engage with the rhythm of nature connect up with your wild side so that's just kind of like um you know, something that people can think about when they pick that card. So I really, I embrace being feral very much, whether it's through, you know, communion with animals or whether it's through just like going crazy sometimes. So, yeah. <laughs> so tonight, that's the night to do this. Tonight's the night to get wild. That's amazing. So on your, on your store, you just came up with a new product that is the uh, Satanic Self-Care Boxes which is a collab with uh, Drainiller, Death is Real Crafts, and a Satanic Chef. So how did this uh, come to be? Did you just think about this one day and then you rang them up and said, hey, you guys, you, do you want to do a collab? Yeah, pretty much. I, I had this idea for a while about doing like a subscription box or something, but those, honestly, I only have so many hours in the day. <laughs> it's like, I'm really trying to figure out how to scale things at like a, a reasonable level for me. So I was like, you know, I've been talking about satanic self-care since like a couple of years ago. I think that's a really important part of my practice. What if I can, you know, put something out and then also collaborate with other artists because I want to shed light on, you know, other people that are doing cool stuff um, and give them props and everything and make this box that I can send people that they could love. So um, yeah, I'm friends with Sarah from Death is Real Craft. She's incredible. She's been like one of the founding, she was like a founder of Gray Faction and has done incredible work um, in that capacity and has been a part of the Tumble for a long time. And she was also on National Council. Dre is somebody who I met at one of the Devil's Dinner Parties that Adam did a couple of years ago. Um, and she's the one who's done a lot of the photography that you've used in some of the promos. Uh, she's incredible. She's a tattoo artist. She actually sent me a whole tattoo kit. So I'm learning how to be a tattoo artist also <laughs> right now. But um, yeah, she also makes like bath products that are like ridiculous. So uh, she included one of her cauldrons. Sarah included one of her soaps. And then, um, then Adam, I've known for a number of years and we've collaborated on his dinners and everything. So I was like, hey, do you have a recipe you can send so yeah we just I just called them up and picked their stuff up and 
put this box together. So I'm planning on doing it seasonally. So, you know, have four a year, each with like different seasonally appropriate items that people can use in their practice. Can we get some tea on like the next collabs for the next boxes and stuff? Yeah, it might actually be tea. So like I want to bring in Hedrich Holistics, who makes the tea that I'm drinking now. She does everything. She's an herbalist. She does oils, teas. Like she does lube that's great. Like everything she does is awesome. So, um, so yeah, I'm thinking about bringing her on. And I'm I I haven't had a lot of discussions with other people yet, but um, I think I'm gonna keep on collaborating with these guys and then just kind of see who else pops up and wants to work on something as time goes on. So it's cool that there are so many people um, in the community who are makers and I'm, I'm excited to see how that continues to flourish yeah i can't wait to see the next boxes what about uh your clothing collection now that i know that you actually like studied fashion design it totally makes sense but i was wondering like like surely clothes must be important for you did you think about doing that collection for a while yeah i I mean, I thought about it. I don't know. That's one of the, another one of those things where I'm like, should I do it? Will people be into it? I mean, everything I do that's new, I'm just like, oh God, are people gonna like understand this? Are they gonna like it? Are they gonna think it's bullshit? Like, but it seemed something that was pretty simple and straightforward from my perspective. You know, and the sigils to me that are incorporated. I love, I love the sigils in the Devil's Tome. The ones that are going to be on the cards too are really great. And I was just like, you know, I love the idea of wearing them if we're feeling a certain way. Actually, I just got an, a message from somebody who wants to get one of the Devil's Tome sigils tattooed on them as well. So I just okayed that with Alexander. I got to hit them back up about that. But I'm super into the idea of like, you know, using sigils as a part of one's practice. So I thought, you know, applying these sigils to clothes makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, I just, I started out kind of small, but included some items that are like, my favorites, like um, and like the crop hoodie I have on right now, it's like the comfiest thing ever. So uh, I just start out with a couple of designs and then I'm gonna eventually branch out into including more illustrations, including some that are on the cards. Like if, if there's particular images that resonate with people, you know, I'll just kind of take the temperature of the community and put it out there. In what way are you gonna in, like uh, do the tattoo things? Like, are you going to tattoo people? Like, is, is this going to be part of like rituals and, uh, and journey or do you want to use this more for yourself? Yeah, this was like something, another thing. I'm basically doing everything now I wanted to do when I was a kid. So that was my, my thing when I was a kid was that I always wanted to be a tattoo artist, but I just didn't know how to do it. Um, so now I do, which is, you know, you just do it. And, but yeah, like it goes back to everything else I'm doing. Um, I would like to eventually, I'm going to work on it for an, a while. And uh, I would like to eventually take clients on. Um, I think hopefully by the time COVID is, you know, has calmed down, will be the right time for me to start maybe taking clients. But yeah, I want to put it into a ritual perspective. I actually have some like Buddhist ritual tattoos on me that I got in Cambodia that it was like a really special, important process. And I really loved how that was done. And so ritual tattooing ever since then had been something that I was kind of fascinated with. So I thought about like, how can I incorporate this into a modern context with the art that I make? So yeah, I'm just kind of, I'm working on the basics right now, which is, you know, basically how, how to tattoo basic stuff and like the, the nuts and bolts of the machinery. And I've honestly only practiced like two or three times since I got the stuff because I've been so wrapped up in other projects, but That's like one of my big things, like 2022 
working on tattooing, but I would like to create ritual experiences for people. Like I don't, I, I'm not going to open up a shop and like, you know, have normal sort of tattoo experiences with folks. It, it would be like a very small number of people a year probably that I would tattoo, but um, it would have like, you know, customized images that were representative of what people wanted to work through. And it would, I would take them on, like, you know, we'd go through a ritual process to process everything and all that jazz. It sounds like something that you could take on the road with you and like, yeah. Yeah. And people you meet up with, if they want tattoos and stuff, it sounds like something that you could, you could do. And yeah, definitely. I think that there's a lot of like traveling tattoo artists. So I think that's definitely one of the ideas to, that I'm keeping in mind. As we wrap things uh, for this podcast, is there anything else that you would like to share upcoming projects or people you'd like to shout out? Oh my God. People I want to shout out everybody. All my friends, you know who you are, people who like helped me through this. Uh, you guys are awesome. Um, Thank you. Ada and the team, everybody, you've been doing amazing work. Shout out to you. Mm-hmm. I, I want to give a shout out. It's not like I have people's names on a list, but like there's so much work that goes on behind the scenes within TST. And I think like one of the big issues that we've had historically, and I say this as somebody who's been in leadership, has been that like there hasn't been adequate opportunity to recognize people who've made contributions to the organization and um i just want to say thanks to everybody who's like silently been working behind the scenes to put this together and to um grow our religion and our understanding of of all this work and what else yeah i mean i just want to i think one of the things that you guys did were was amazing just doing a showcasing a different woman every day of March was really special. And I think something that was like a great example for what, what we can all be doing as communities to uplift each other and encourage each other. So kudos to y'all. Thank you. Yeah, that was a cool campaign. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, to wrap things up, where can we reach you? Yeah, you can um, check me out on social media. Um, I believe my emails on my website if people want to reach out that's usually the best way to do it i don't usually go into dms very often um yeah you can check out my website it's www.serpentina.com i also have a patreon under shiva honey um and i interact with people more on that and yeah tonight i'll be dancing and djing for my birthday and ordination uh celebration happy birthday Shiva! thank you <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Thank you so much for coming to the estate. It was so awesome talking to you about all these projects. I'm like so pumped. Thank you. I'm so inspired right now. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was lovely talking to you. You too.